So I begin today with a question. Will the bride rebel against the bridegroom in the last days? You heard the analogy from last week. Will the bride, the church, rebel against the bridegroom, Jesus, in the last days? Yes. She will. It's prophesied. So what do we do? If that's the prophecy, the Apostle Paul says to the church that before the return of Christ, before the revealing of the Antichrist, which will bring the tribulation, the bride will go into rebellion. She'll rebel against the Word. She'll rebel against Christ Himself. The bride will rebel against the bridegroom. So what do we do? Just don't let it be, don't let it come to you. Don't let it be in your house. You've heard me talk about the spirit war for several years now. Many are dying in the spirit war. It's a battle between good and evil. It's a battle between God and Satan. In fact, this war has its origins in heaven, not on the earth. They are dying for a lack of truth. This is truth. The truth that would have set them free from sin, the truth that would have set them free from death, which is the result of all sin, the truth that would have made them victorious in the spirit war, and they would see the rebellion for what the rebellion is, and they would not go along with the rebellion because they have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that will follow after truth. The spirit war, ultimately in the, in the end, in the last day, it will be this, who will be the legitimate children of God on the last day? Who will have experienced this with Christ? When the two shall become one flesh. And when the two become one flesh, it's this picture of marriage revealed in the mystery of Christ. That when they become one, why would the bride rebel against her husband after they've become one under the head? Why? Why? This series is specifically focused on how to survive, how to survive the spirit war that's real. And it's around us right now. Most of my teaching in this series has come from Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. We call it Ephesians. Next week, it'll be session five, the last one in the series. And I'm going to give you a physical reality example of how this war will end. And I'm going to tell you right now, don't, don't miss the final session. It kind of puts everything together. Ephesians is the letter that Paul clearly describes the spiritual war. And I'm afraid of this. <laughs> I'm afraid that many people in the church, even, even sitting in this room right now, people watching online right now, this moment, you still don't get it. You don't get this that around us there are spiritual powers that you cannot see. There are thrones and rulers sitting on those thrones, powers sitting on those thrones, demonic authorities, and they're around us. And they want to have you. They can speak into your heart. They can lead in the spirit power that our minds cannot even comprehend. And the battle is real. And it's a battle of life and death. How does everything end? Who will be the legitimate children of God on the last day? That doesn't just apply to the earth. It applies to the heavens in which there will be one final event in heaven in which the sons of God in the heavenly realms will be revealed and everyone else will be cast out. If you read the book of Revelation, you'll hear this. And there was war in heaven, and Michael fought against the dragon. And there's this other scripture that says, And I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And there's another example where he says, Woe to you, inhabitants of the earth, for Satan has been cast down to you, and he is filled with rage and fury, for he knows his days are short. There's a war. And they're coming for your children. And they're coming for you. And the rebellion is the rebellion against the very truth that would have saved you in this war. But the rebellion is against the Word, against 
the answer itself to the war. So I'm going to begin with reading the same scripture I've read in every session, Ephesians 6.10. I don't know how Paul could have made it more plain, more plain than this. Verse 10, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers. Do you believe this? Evil rulers and authorities in unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world. Against evil spirits in heavenly places. How are you going to do battle against evil spirits? You can't even see them. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And after the battle, then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. So let me ask you again, will the bride rebel against the bridegroom in the last days? Listen carefully. Israel did. And the church will too. Israel did. They rebelled against the very one who came to save them. The Messiah came. Will the bride rebel against the bridegroom in the last days? Yes. Will the church? Yes, she will. She is. I'm watching church after church, pastor after pastor, believer after believer, turn away from the word and follow the world. It's happening in our generation. The Apostle Paul reveals the conclusion. Who will be the true children of Abraham? When I say who will be the legitimate children of God, everybody listen carefully. I want to describe what it means. I said Israel rebelled and the church will rebel. There are a lot of people that have this misconception that the church replaced Israel. That Israel has no more significance, that the church is the new Israel. I know a lot of churches teach that. It's called replacement theology. I do not believe that's true in any sense. Let me tell you what God's Word says. The church has been, invite, has been invited to join Israel. We have been grafted in to the family of God. Listen very carefully. When I say, and I've said it a hundred times now in this series, all creation is rushing toward a single event in which the true children of God will be revealed. The sons of God is the literal translation, will be revealed. You can be an Isaac. I can be an Isaac. And when I say I can be an Isaac, that I can come into the family of Abraham. But realize this, there was an Ishmael. But he was not a child of the promise. It doesn't work. Ishmael is man's attempt to become a child of God, to enter into the kingdom, the way of God. It doesn't work. He's not a child of the covenant, not a child of the promise. You can become an Isaac. Now, I'm going to get into that a little bit later. So when I say everything's rushing toward a single event, in fact, let me read it to you. Romans 8, 19. Everything's rushing toward this. For all creation is waiting for a single event. It's a future day. It's future to us. When God will reveal who his children really are, not just on the earth, but also in heaven. Who his children really are. And who his children really are will be the children of Abraham. They will be called the children of God. Ishmael's won't make it unless they come to faith in Christ, the lamb that was the substitute on the altar of Isaac. In John 8, 34, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So that would be everybody in this room. Everyone who sins is a slave. And what's the problem with this bondage, this slavery? A slave is not a permanent member of the family. See, there's the problem. We're sharing in God's creation, but we're not a permanent member of the family when we're under the bondage of slavery. Slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. So how can I be, go from being a slave, a temporary member of God's created world, 
to a permanent member of the family. How can I become a son? You must become an Isaac. The lamb takes your place on the altar and you become a child of God. You're one of Abraham's children. The purpose of this series is to reveal, number one, the spirit war so that you'll quit living in denial. You'll understand why this stuff is happening around you. And then after you get it, after you understand that we're in spiritual war, the truth of the scripture will show you how to be victorious in that spirit war so that we can be called the children of God on the last day. Jesus didn't ascend to the right hand of the Father and then leave the church to fend for itself and say, good luck with the spirit war. No, the Holy Spirit comes to the Apostle Paul. Paul writes most of the New Testament. We're focused in Ephesians where he tells us these truths. Ultimately, the presence of the Holy Spirit is survival in the spirit war. The Son has set us free. We're not slaves. We're not temporary members of the family. When the Son sets you free, you're free for sure, forever. Ultimately, the presence of the Holy Spirit is survival. He is the one that declares us to be the blood-bought children of God. His presence is, our, is the seal of God's ownership, marking us as one of the children of God. Ultimately, the presence of the Holy Spirit is the only power on earth that can survive the war that rages around us. So if there are evil spirits around us and they're coming for your children, they're coming for you, they're coming for the church, they're coming for evil, they're under the authority of the evil throne, the temporary dominion power of darkness, Satan, if they are, what power can overcome that enemy? One. The Spirit of Christ, the He who is in us, Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God, is greater than that Spirit that operates temporarily in the authority of this world. And it is the Holy Spirit that will today do what He alone does. He will reveal to us the Word. That's His job. He reveals truth. So last week we dealt with seven clear instructions of God all from Ephesians. Number seven was this one. That'd be a good jumping off place. Number seven says this, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're going to put something into you, put something into you that will save you, not destroy you. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Last week, we also dealt with God's created order. Men, and women, husbands, wives. And I ask the question again, will the bride rebel against the bridegroom in the last days? See, the mystery that was in last week's session, the mystery is that the relationship between husbands and wives, wives actually reveals the mystery between Jesus and his bride, the church. For those who have eyes to see, it's the mystery. And will the bride rebel against the bridegroom in the last days? And today we begin with God's clear instructions to parents and to children. And now here we go. How to survive the spirit war and be a child of God on the last day. Session number four. We're slowly making our way through the book of Ephesians. We're in the last chapter, chapter six. These are the clear instructions of God how to survive if you will listen and allow the power of God's Word to transform your heart. These are clear instructions how to survive. The whole book of Ephesians is His instruction. Verse 1, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment that comes with the promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you'll have a long life on the earth. This is God's created order. It begins with humility, 
and submissive hearts. We talked about that last week. And then he addresses men and women about submitting to one another. And then he comes to husbands and wives. And he says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, for he's the head and over the head over him is Christ. And now he addresses parents and children, the family itself. Children are not in charge until they are in charge. Let me explain. My father, when I was growing up, was the authority in my life. In my life, he was, he was the, the authority. I don't know how else to put it. And he was that authority even after I became an adult. He still was this authority in my life. Not that he dominated me, but that he was an authority until he was no longer able to carry out that role. And at the age of his upper 80s, that started to happen. And then I had to trade places with him. Then I actually became that authority. Honoring our mother and father begins when we come to age. And when I say come to age, when we come to age knowing right and wrong, we must submit to the authority of our parents on the issue of right and wrong. But it also applies to the time when our parents need us to take over the responsibility for them because they can no longer do so for themselves. And if your parents reach that age where they are no longer able to take care of themselves fully, then the children actually assume the role of authority and take care of their parents. It's our calling. Do you understand this is one of the original Ten Commandments of God? When God calls Moses out of Israel, and it's carried over to the New Testament church age, the same commandment that he gave to Israel when he brings them out and creates this nation is the same commandment that Paul now reiterates in the church. Why? The family is the foundation of society. Even before there was Israel, there was the family. Even before there was the church, there was the family. There was God's created order, how a society, how a civilization can function. Children, you're honoring your mother and your father. You, there's an authority. There's a, there's a head. There's somebody in charge. This commandment comes with the promise of God. The first commandment of God that actually comes with a promise. If you'll obey it, you'll get a, a result, a good result. So let's go to Deuteronomy. Moses has brought the people out of Egypt, and here's God's law. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you, and then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now, he's taken them to the promised land, and he's creating a civilization that knows who's in charge. Honor your father and mother. And things will go well with you in that land I'm going to deliver you into. A long and full life. A promise of God to those who accept his created order. But let me ask you a question. What would happen if you didn't? What if you rejected his created order? What if you decided that you no longer needed to honor your mother and your father? What if you decided that you don't accept their authority? In fact, all of this authority that he's established, what if you reject it? Parents have been given authority by God over their children. Not government, parents. Let me make a point. It is not the government's responsibility to raise your children. It is not the government's responsibility to teach your children right and wrong. And the reason I make a point of that is when the government begins telling the parents, telling the children right and wrong that contradicts what the Word of God describes as right and wrong. We, the parents, the grandparents, must reject the government's authority over our children. 
It's important. Parents are to accept responsibility for raising and teaching their children right and wrong. It is not the government's job. It is not the school's job. It is your job to teach your children right and wrong, not the government. And let me describe it this way. It's hard work. But it's part of God's created order. Do you want your children to survive the spirit war? Then do not turn them over to the government for instructions about this issue. They must hear this from you. It is your job. It is hard work. Parents, teach your children. Raise them up with the full knowledge of God. Children are to honor their parents so that you will live long and have a good life under the favor of God. This order that God has established holds society together. It is the restrainer of evil. It is the restrainer of chaos. The family was created by God and given this order to restrain evil so that children who don't know what they don't know don't become in charge and chaos ensues. In fact, it's interesting to me, I was thinking about this. Do you understand that the tribulation that comes after the church is taken off of the earth will come after the restrainer of God's family is removed? And everyone will be left to themselves to do what their own evil heart desires. No restrainer of evil. Which means what? The family structure God created, those who yield to God's created order, those children of God will be removed. And what's the result? Chaos. Anarchy. Parents, can I give you some advice from a 66-year-old guy who raised three kids and now has eight grandchildren? Don't try to be your child's best friend. That's right. That is not your job. Quit trying to be your child's best friend. Why? They need parents. They need authority. They need parents who will teach them truth and discipline them when they refuse to accept the authority and the truth. Let me make a point. Parents, your job is to teach them truth. And if they rebel against that truth, if they refuse to accept that truth, it is your responsibility under God's created order to administer discipline so that they accept that truth and accept that right, that wrong, that authority, that created order. It's your responsibility. It's okay to hurt their feelings. It's okay. Why? Why do I say that? Because their eternal soul is more valuable than their feelings. And if you accept the fact that there is a spiritual war that's raging around us, and they're coming for your children, you will understand how important it is for you to assume the responsibility to administer justice and discipline to your children. Hopefully... They can be your best friends after they grow up. But that will probably depend on how you disciplined and taught them when they were young, as whether or not that will work. In Proverbs 22, 6, it says, direct your children onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. This is God's created order. Your children will not follow the path of truth without discipline. Anybody listening? Your, your children will not follow the path of truth without discipline. Why? And by the way, you didn't either. Why? Because we have a sin nature. Our nature is prone to walk away from God, not toward God. We will not naturally walk in the light of his truth. We will naturally walk away from him. God is our father. And he disciplines us and reveals truth to us. 
And then understand something. Do you want your children to survive the spirit war? Do you want your grandchildren to survive the spirit war? I'm on the outside looking in, and here's what I see. I'm watching an entire generation of children swallowed by the darkness, rejecting not just parental authority, but rejecting the truth that comes from parental authority, rejecting the truth that has been passed down from parental. That might have been okay for you, but it doesn't apply anymore, that kind of rejection. Do you want your children to survive? If God is our Father, does He discipline us? And what is His instruction regarding discipline of our children? Hebrews 12, verse 5. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as His children? He said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when He corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as a child. Now, that's God's standard. He punishes those that he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? Now, let's just pause in that text. I know of a lot of children that have never, ever been disciplined by their father. Maybe they don't have a father in their life. Or maybe they've got an absentee father who, quite frankly, just checks out and is not an active participant in raising the child. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? What's the problem there? It, verse 8, if God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate. You are illegitimate and you're not really his children at all. And since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the fathers of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might share in His holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. Amen to that one. No discipline is enjoyable when it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. This is countercultural. So I want you to understand something. You need to get this is countercultural. We live in a society that teaches that spanking is child abuse, that disciplining a child or requiring a child to submit to parental authority is child abuse. You go into Walmart, you go into Kroger, you go into a public store and your kid acts like a kid and the kid needs a spanking, the kid needs instruction, he needs discipline. Right now in this culture, you're afraid to administer that discipline inside the public. You go outside and look for cameras, get in behind the car and spank their butt. <laughs> Why? It's countercultural. The culture does not accept the fact that there is truth and truth will never be accepted without discipline. Why? Because we are rebels in our own heart that require instruction. I'm not talking about child abuse, but let me tell you what child abuse really is. To never discipline your child. It is abuse. It is to leave them to fend for themselves in a spiritual battle that ends in heaven or hell. It's child abuse, the worst form. This is God's created order. 
It was God's foundational teaching to Israel when God gave the law of Moses. So what Paul's telling us in the New Testament, in Hebrews and Ephesians, God revealed through Moses in Deuteronomy. Listen carefully. Deuteronomy 6, verse 3. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. He is alone. He is singular. Listen carefully. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them. Now, he's given them the law. He's given them a social order in which the people can dwell in the presence of God. God's created order. What's he say? You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands. And what? Repeat them again and again and again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Talk to them about your children. It's not a part-time job. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Parents, this is your high calling. This is bigger than any other task in your life. This is eternal. If you really believe there's a spiritual battle raging in the heavenly realms and that there is this evil one that has demonic forces and they have thrones and they have powers, supernatural powers, and they're coming for your children. They're coming for your children. They're coming for this entire generation. You would teach them. Let me ask you a question. How many times have you had this talk with your kids? How many times have you had this talk with your grandchildren? Just what we're talking about right now. How many times? Is that something you plan to get to one day? When? If you really believe that this, this whole series, if you really believe that we're not fighting a flesh and blood war, but we're in a spiritual war and heaven and hell's the outcome, and they're coming for your kids, let me tell you what, you talk to your children. Yeah, you would. Yes, you would. I, I'm going to tell you a story. I'll try to protect the confidentiality of the family. Um, I was in the office one day not too long ago. I get a phone call from some guy that doesn't go to church here, but he's, he has family members that come here. And he lives pretty far away, actually. And uh, he asked, can he talk to me? And I, he said, I just want to tell you something. My dad goes to this church, Nineveh. And I want you to know what my dad did after being in Nineveh for a while. My dad wrote a letter to everybody in our family. And in that letter, he begged them. He first gave his testimony and begged every one of his children and grandchildren to come to faith in Christ while there was time. And he said, that is so not my dad. But my dad was so convicted by something that happened at church that, that he felt like this was his window of opportunity to convey the urgency of coming to faith in Christ to everybody in his family. And he said, that, that letter is a treasure. This is my dad's testimony. This is his plea with everyone in his household. Come to faith in Christ. This is life and death. So he said, I just wanted to call you and tell you that my dad did that. So let me ask you a question. When have you had that talk? Do you believe any of this stuff? When have you had that talk? When, when would you think it would be a good idea to have that talk? What, what did he say? Talk about it. 
Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about it when you're at your home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Until your kids say, we're going to talk about that again. Yeah, we're going to talk about that again. I'm going to talk about that until, until you can talk about it. And when I find out that you can talk about it like I can talk about it, then we won't need to talk about it as much. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline. Fathers, this is God's calling in your life. Grandfathers, it's not too late for you either. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Children, go from parents to children. This is your high calling. How you see your earthly father will have a huge influence on how you see your heavenly father. I've been in ministry now for 30-something years, and I'm going to tell you, I have found this to be true. Many people that struggle with their perspective of God as a heavenly father do so because they never had an earthly father that ever, ever, ever pointed them to a merciful, gracious, heavenly father. And thus their whole view of father and God and authority is all messed up. And now, after that instruction to parents and to children, now we get back to where this entire series begins. Paul's final word to the church at Ephesus in the spirit war. Verse 10. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against the flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits evil spirits in heavenly places. The final words, what? Be strong, church. Be strong, church. We're at war, but we can't lose if we don't give up, so don't give up. I have counseled with people for a lot of years, and I've always come to this same conclusion. If you are in Christ, and it only applies if you're in Christ, if you are in Christ, you cannot lose if you don't give up, so don't give up. Whatever battle you're in right now, whatever you're facing, whatever's in your family, whatever's messing with your kids, whatever you're dealing with at work, whatever you're dealing with in your faith, whatever it is, if you are in Christ, you cannot lose if you don't give up. So don't give up. Remain faithful. We're in a war. We're in a battle. You do not give up when you're in a war. Next week, we're going to make that very clear in a physical reality demonstration. Put on God's armor. Man up. Put on God's armor. I've been reading it to you. What, God, what is God's armor? Put on God's armor. I've been reading it to you for four weeks. Put it on. Put it on. Wear it. God's armor is the only way to survive the spirit war. God's armor is the only way to overcome the strategies of the devil. This is not a flesh and blood war. This is not about your neighbor, your boss at work, your wife, your husband. And flesh and blood powers won't work in the spirit war. This spirit war will determine who the sons of God are. The legitimate children of God will be on the last day. This spirit war, the outcome is this. The children of Abraham will be revealed on the last day. All creation is rushing toward a single event. Who will be the sons of God on the last day? The spirit war is with evil rulers, spiritual powers. And listen carefully. They are currently in authority on the earth. Many in the church still don't get it. Why? Why don't they like us? Why doesn't the world like us? Why does the world see us as countercultural? Because there is a spiritual power that is in dominion right now on the earth. 
right now on the earth. And it's, it's operating from the unseen world, but yet it manifests itself on this present earth. This spirit war is with the mighty spirit powers that operate in darkness that our minds, I admit, cannot comprehend. And this spirit war is not just here on the earth, but it's operating in heavenly places. And only the legitimate children of God are going to survive this war. And I'm telling you the truth today, whether you accept it or whether you reject it, whether you walk out of here today thinking, man, that's too heavy for me. Listen, everything the Holy Spirit is telling me is urgent right now. I, I just don't think there's a whole lot of time left. And I think the spirit war is intensifying. It's becoming more and more intense. And I think of that scripture even now. Woe to you, inhabitants of the earth, for Satan has been cast down to you, and he is filled with rage, for he knows his days are short. But they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. And by word of their testimony, and they were not afraid to die. They overcame him. There's war. Woe to you, inhabitants of the earth, for Satan has been cast down to you. I have the sense of urgency, and I, I want to scream to the church. I want to scream to unbelievers that God's holding the door open for you, but that door won't be open forever. And he's coming for your children. And I know, parents, you love your children, but you're, many parents, even in the church, you're deceived that you think you can play in the world and still save your children. You, you cannot do both. Paul doesn't just stop there. Remember, he's already given us clear instructions about surviving the war. He goes into his final word detail of how to survive the spirit war. Listen carefully. The power to survive the spirit war is clearly revealed what is this armor of God that overcomes the power of the devil? And are you taking this serious today? Because here we go. Very detailed instruction. Verse 13. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil and put on salvation as your helmet and make the sword of the Spirit and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Men, let me start with you. It is God's given calling upon you that you protect your family. It is your job that you're the protector of your family. How? Put on every piece of God's armor. This is the only way to resist the power of Satan and survive. Then after the battle, you'll still be standing firm. It is your calling, men, to lead your families under the authority of the head, which is Christ. So let's start with number one, belt of truth. Where do you think you're going to get that? Truth. What is truth? That's what Pilate asked Jesus. What is truth? Where are you going to get it? Pilate said, what is truth? What is truth? Where do you find truth? Here we go. You knew it was coming. I believe what I hold in my hand is the only physical source of absolute truth. This is it. The Bible. You're not going to get truth from government. You're not going to get truth from academia. In fact, you're not going to get truth from any flesh and blood source. Truth comes from God. This is Jesus' prayer to the Father before he goes to the cross. And I believe that in this few words, Jesus reveals what Paul calls the belt of truth. Put it on. Truth. Something that is absolute all the time from God. John 17, 13. Jesus says this. Now, I'm coming to you. Jesus knows he's going to go to the Father soon. I told them, my, my followers, 
I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with joy. And Jesus talking to his Abba, his father. I have given them your word. I have given them your word. And the world hates them because they do not belong to the world any more than I belong to the world. Do you, you know why we're countercultural? Because of that. We don't belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. Can I just throw this in? We'll do that later. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. There's the spirit war. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy. How? By your truth, they'll be made holy. How? Teach them your word, which is truth. That's Jesus' prayer to his Father. Do you get it? Just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so that they can be made holy. So the church can be made holy. How? By the truth. Your truth. The belt of truth. Put it on. Wear it. Live under its authority. Teach it to your children. That leads to the next piece of God's armor, the body armor, the breastplate of God's righteousness. Now that you know the truth, now that you know the truth, you must live the truth. You must do what is right. This is where the power lies. Do what is right. A lot of people know the truth. They have access to the truth, but they do not yield to the authority of the truth. You must submit to the truth. It's like this. You must put yourself under the authority of the truth. This is the part that covers and protects your heart. It is the breastplate, this body armor breastplate. Let me give you an example. Jesus talks about people who know the truth but refuse to yield to the dominion and the power and the authority of the truth. They know, but they won't. They know, but they won't. Luke six forty six. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? Why do you say master, master? That's what Lord means. Why do you say master, master, and you have no intention of submitting to my authority? And then he does something. Listen carefully. I'll show you what it's like. Jesus says, I'll show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teachings, and then follows it. Actually does what the truth says. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays a foundation on solid rock. And when the flood waters rise, here's the spirit war. And when the flood waters rise and breaks against the house, it stands firm because it's well built. What? It's well be built on obedience to the truth. Not knowledge of the truth, obedience to the truth. That's Jesus. That's him. That's what he says. But there's another guy. Verse 49, but anyone who hears, what? The truth. They hear, but he doesn't obey. It's like a person who builds a house without a foundation. And when the floods sweep down, here comes the spirit war. And when the floods sweep down against the house, it will collapse in a heap of ruins. Number one is the belt of truth, the word. Number two is this body armor, this breastplate of God's righteousness. Live the truth. And then he talks about our feet. What about your feet? You know, I don't really want to run out into some kind of battle barefoot. I don't know what it is about that, but I, you know what? If I didn't have a shirt on, maybe I'm okay, but I'm not going barefoot. Verse 15, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. Shoes, they are readiness. I, I love this part. I love what the Holy Spirit shows me about this part. You can't fight this war without shoes. You can't fight this war barefoot. And if shoes are representative of readiness, shoes represent the peace that comes from knowing and living the Word of God in your life. But here's what it is for me. Shoes are this. You live ready. You live ready. 
ready for battle, ready for victory, ready to meet your Messiah, King. You're ready because I got my shoes on. I, I'm not going to get my shoes on. I, I'm ready now. Not one day am I going to get ready. I'm ready now. I got my, I got my shoes on. If I got to go in just a flash, if I got to go this second, I don't have to say, wait, I got to get my shoes on. I can't go into battle barefoot. It's this idea of readiness that I've got my shoes on. Now, I'm ready. And if there's a trumpet sound, then I don't need to get my shoes. I don't need to look for my boots. I'm ready. This is a great place to live. Ready. At peace. Ready. With your army boots on. Ready. And waiting. You got the belt of truth. Know the word. You got the body armor. God's breastplate of righteousness. Protecting your heart. You live under the truth. Under the authority of the truth. And you got your shoes. This peaceful readiness. Do you know the value of peaceful readiness in this war? What's next in the armor of God? Verse 16. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Do you know the Word? That's the belt of truth. Do you live the Word? That's God's righteousness working inside of you. You live with peaceful readiness that whatever comes, it's okay. I got my boots on. And now comes the shield of faith. I touched on it earlier. Listen carefully. In Christ, you can't lose if you don't quit. So you don't quit. In Christ, you never lose if you never quit. So don't give up. It's, this is the shield of faith. And let me say this. This is the battle. If I look at the battle for the church right now, it's this. They had access to the truth. We have the word in our language. But the issue of faith is the struggle. We never give up the belt of truth. And trade it for a lie. We never give up the life of God's righteousness and fall victim to the lies and rebellion of the devil. We never give up the peaceful readiness and take off our boots and join the world of sin. And I'm always amazed that the Apostle Paul, when he writes that very last letter, the last letter we know that he wrote, he wrote to 2 Timothy, he's in prison, he's in Rome, he's going to die, they're going to cut his head off. And what's he say? What's he say? I fought the fight. I kept the faith. Do you think he acknowledges the battle? I fought the war. I fought the fight. And what was the, the marker of fighting the faith? Fighting the fight. What was the marker? I kept the faith. I never gave up. I never gave in. I never yielded. I never dishonored my, my king. I kept his word. I kept his name. I kept the faith. And what's the result? What's he say? This man's about to die. What's he say? And therefore, there's a prize ahead. A crown of righteousness awaits me. And here's my favorite part. Listen, this is why I make such a big deal out. And not a crown of righteousness, because I fought the fight, I kept the faith, and therefore there's a crown of righteousness waiting for me. But not only for me, but for all who what? Who have their boots on. For all who long for His appearing. All who wait for His appearing. One scripture says, all who love His appearing. If you've got your boots on, you're ready. You're not saying, I need to get this in line. No, no, I'm ready now. I'm waiting on you now. I have fought the fight. I have kept the faith. I am waiting for your appearing. And there's a crown of righteousness that will be awarded not only to Paul, but to all those with their boots on who are ready, loving his appearing. Faith is our endurance in the war. No matter how long the war lasts, we never give up. The shield of faith protects us from the devil's arrows because we know and we live in the truth. Here's what Jesus says in Luke 12, 4. Dear friends, don't be afraid. We're in a war, okay? People are dying, okay? I understand. It's, it's real. Paul, they cut his head off. It's real, okay? Jesus says, dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill the body. 
They killed Paul. In fact, they killed all the apostles except John. I think they killed them all. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after they kill your body. But I'll tell you whom you should fear. Fear God, who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one you should fear. What's the worst thing the devil can do to you? He can cut your head off. Yeah, he can. He can kill your body. Yeah, he can. I'm not denying it. I told you, we're at war, right? But by faith, you know what? By faith, you have the resurrection of the dead. And last time I checked, the resurrection of the dead cures death 100% of the time. 100%. So put on God's armor. That's his instruction. You know the word, you live the word, you live with a peaceful readiness for whatever comes. You know you have the shield of faith you can't lose if you never give up, so you never give up. And there's two more. What about your head? And do we have a weapon to fight with that's offensive rather than defensive? Ephesians 6, 17. Put on salvation as your helmet. And take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The head and the heart must be protected. You know, God understands the human anatomy. The head and the heart must be protected. You got to protect the head and the heart or you won't survive. The breastplate of God's righteousness protects the heart. But what about this helmet of salvation? What does it mean? What is this helmet that protects us in the spirit war? Listen very carefully, because the world will never understand the helmet of salvation. The world will never get it unless God reveals it. 1 Corinthians 2.13. When we tell you all these things, spirit war and all this spirit armor, when we tell you all these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? And who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things. Listen, this is so powerful. We understand these spiritual things. Why? For we have the mind of Christ. That's how. There is your helmet of salvation the mind of Christ. For we have the mind of Christ because we have the Spirit of Christ living inside of us. This is the mind of Christ. When Christ enters, He changes the way you think. Finally, the sword of the Spirit. And here's what's interesting. It's always been interesting about this last one. It is our only offensive weapon. It says the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It is our only offensive weapon in the spirit war. Did you notice that everything else is defensive? Everything else is a protection. But this is offensive. The sword of the Spirit is an offensive weapon. Not just for defending ourselves, but to advance ourselves in the spirit war. I remember coming out during COVID, and I know a lot of people don't even want to think about COVID anymore. I like to look at my life BC before COVID. <laughs> but I remember back when we were in COVID, the church was told by the health department that there would be bodies piling up in the uh, parking lot and that we had to close the facility. And I remember all the lines, and I don't want to get into all that again. But after eight weeks of nonsense, after eight weeks, if you look back, nonsense. And if you look back, they're trying to shut the church down. Tell me we're not in a spirit war. For eight weeks, we, we agreed to close the church. Our elders met together. We prayed together. And I remember coming out here, and there weren't very many people, but I made this statement. From this day forward, we're on offense. There's no more defense. 
from this day forward. We're on offense. And you know what that means? We are not going to shrink back. We're not closing. We're not going to be afraid. We understand this is a spiritual battle, and in this spiritual battle, we have been called by our King to advance, not to retreat. We have been called by our King to advance. And from that day, guess what? We opened back up. We put chairs back in here. And the Lord has blessed this church supernaturally ever since that day because we understood that our calling is to take the single offensive weapon and expose it to the darkness. It is the light that casts out the darkness. It is the way to survive the spirit war. So preach the word. And we started preaching the word. We understand this church is on a mission. Go into all the world and make disciples. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Preach and teach the Bible to the world. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God. Hold it high and preach it loud. I remember Wayne Smith years ago used to have this saying. I loved it. He said, preach the gospel, brother, preach it. Put it high where men can teach it. Put it low where men can reach it. Preach the gospel, brother. Preach it. We are on a mission, the mission of God, and we are in a war against God's enemy. And yes, we are countercultural. Everything in the scripture is countercultural. Of course it is. We do not belong to this world. Our instructions have been made quite clear, and they begin with the revelation of Jesus' true identity. Before Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, he calls his followers together and says this, Matthew 28, Jesus came, told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Do you understand? He announces to them that it's all mine. The question is, when will he exercise his authority? When will he come and throw Satan into prison? When will he cast off all the darkness? When? It's all his. What do we do in the time of waiting? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I the Holy Spirit. I am with you even to the end of the age. Everything is His, heaven and earth. Everything is His. His command is clear, and we are on offense. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So here comes my closing today. There is actually one more thing, number seven, in that section from the Apostle Paul about surviving the war. Let's go to verse 18. Pray in the Spirit at all times, and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And Paul says, and pray for me too. And ask God to give me the right words so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan. That the good news is for the Jews and the Gentiles alike. I, Paul, am in chains now still preaching this message of God's as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Pray in the Spirit. What's it mean? Pray in the Spirit. Keep the communication lines open in the time of war. You don't want to be trapped behind enemy lines without any communication. Keep the communication lines open in the time of waiting. Waiting for what? He told them, all power, dominion, and authority has been given to me by my Father. Right now, we're waiting for him to exercise that power, dominion, and authority on the earth. Pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for your family. Pray for others that stand with you in the battle. And when you don't know what to pray, I got to tell you, I am so happy about this verse. And when you don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit will pray for you. How comforting is that sentence? Romans 8, 26. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us between believers in harmony with God's own will. Well, that's it. How to survive the Spirit war in four sessions from the book of Ephesians. And I told you, there's five sessions. Next week, 
I'm going to give you a physical reality example. A physical reality example of how the war ends. Don't miss it. The only survivors in the spirit war are going to be the legitimate children of God. The children of Abraham. And I'm telling you today, if you're not already, you can be an Isaac. A survivor. Everything in creation is quickly headed toward one final event when God will reveal the legitimate children of God. One last scripture, Romans 8, 14. And I'm asking you, please listen. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. What's the marker? The Spirit. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you, when He adopted you as His own children. Now, we call Him Abba, Father. For His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are His children, we are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share in His glory, we must also share in His suffering. There's the war. Yet what we suffer now in this spirit war is nothing compared to the glory He will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who His children really, really are. I'll ask Chad to come out for the invitation. Will the bride rebel against the bridegroom in the last days? Yes. I wish I could say no, but the answer is yes. It's prophesied. So what do we do? If it's prophesied, what do we do? The bride's going to rebel against the bridegroom. There's going to be an apostasy. Before the return of Christ, before the revealing of the Antichrist, there's going to be a great falling away of the church. What do we do? Don't let it come to your house. Not, your, not my house. Not here. Not here. Why? Why do I say that? Because you know the truth. Someone told you the truth. You can be an Isaac. And listen carefully. There was an Ishmael and there was an Isaac. One was the child of the promise and the other was man's attempt to find God man's way. It won't work. You must become an Isaac. And Isaac is this, clearly described. Isaac is this. There was a lamb God planned to replace Isaac on the altar of death. That's Jesus. If Jesus takes your place on the altar of death, you become an Isaac. You become a child of Abraham, a child of the promise, a child of God. All creation is waiting for the day when that will be revealed. So today, let me ask you a question. Are you a blood-bought child of the Most High God? Do you have the Holy Spirit of Christ inside of you? Yes or no? There's no maybes in this. Yes or no? Are you redeemed by the blood of the Lamb? So we're going to sing a song. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Today, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit says, come, come. I'm holding the door open. I'm holding the door open. Come. The Bride, that's the church. We say, come, come. Come, join the family, the assembly of the blood-bought children of the Most High God. Come, come. The Spirit, the bride, say, come. Father, we glorify your name. May the Spirit and the bride today say, come. In Jesus' name, and amen. Let's stand together.